Hey everyone, this is Eric Thompson, and welcome to this week's Three Shifts edition by Six Pages, the source for far-reaching market shifts and what they mean. I want to let you know that we'll be hitting pause on future Three Shifts editions podcast episodes for now, and that our last episode in this format will be on August 20th. As loyal listeners, we're interested in your feedback on what else you'd like to hear from us in a podcast format. Let us know by shooting us a note at hello at sixpages.com or DMing us on social. We'll use it to shape the future of the Six Pages Market Shifts podcast. And as a reminder, you can continue to read the weekly Three Shifts editions and summaries of our deeply researched briefs by signing up for free on sixpages.com. All right, let's get into this week's shifts. It's August 6th, 2021. And here are the three shifts that you need to know this week. One, brain-computer interface startups are entering clinical trials and attracting investments. Two, why are Amazon and Walmart offering their infrastructure to e-commerce rivals? And three, big tech wants to analyze encrypted data using homomorphic encryption. Shift one, brain-computer interface startups are entering clinical trials and attracting investments. Brain-Computer Interfaces, BCI, or Brain-Machine Interfaces, BMI, devices that turn brain signals into actions and other outputs, are inching closer to commercialization. The past few weeks have seen developments from multiple BCI startups working on devices for patients with paralysis, a condition that affects over 30 million people. Synchron announced it had received FDA approval to begin a U.S. clinical trial. Elon Musk-founded Neuralink announced it had raised $205 million and another BCI startup, Paradromics, raised a $20 million seed round. Synchron's investigational device exemption from the FDA paves the way for the first U.S. clinical trial of its Stentrode neuroprosthetic device later in 2021 with six patients. The FDA designated the Stentrode a breakthrough device eligible for an accelerated pathway in August 2020. Intended to allow individuals with paralysis to control digital devices using thought alone, the wireless stentrode is implanted in the brain via a blood vessel in a minimally invasive two-hour procedure rather than open brain surgery. Early results from its current Australian trial with four patients demonstrated how two paralyzed patients were able to independently text, email, shop online, and use online banking. The patients were able to achieve unsupervised home use of the stentrode system, which includes a computer and eye tracker for cursor navigation, within two to three months. Synchron's chief medical officer suggests that Stentrode could be on the market within three to five years. Synchron is also exploring the use of the Stentrode as a neuromodulation device to stimulate brain or nerve activity and produce a biological response. It is developing solutions to address Parkinson's disease, epilepsy, depression, hypertension, and sleep, among others. The day after Synchron's FDA approval, Neuralink announced it had raised a $205 million Series C from investors such as Alphabet's GV and OpenAI's CEO Sam Altman. It initially wants to help quadriplegics with spinal cord injury, quote, interact with their computers or phones in a high bandwidth and naturalistic way, end quote. It's been testing with pigs and monkeys, making a splash in April 2021 with a video of a monkey playing the video game Pong with its thoughts. Neuralink's N1Link wireless implant connects to 64 tiny micron-scale threads, each with 16 electrodes. For a total of 1,024 quote-unquote information channels in the current design, and up to a maximum of 3,072. 
The threads are inserted into the brain using automated robotic surgery through a hole in the skull and at a depth of up to 6 millimeters, avoiding the many blood vessels. According to Musk, the goal is to eventually implant the link in under an hour without general anesthesia and at a cost of a quote-unquote few thousand dollars. The funding will be used to take the N1 link to market. It is not yet in clinical trials, though it received the FDA's breakthrough device designation in July 2020, as well as accelerate R&D of future products. In February 2021, Musk said the company plans to start human trials by the end of the year. Musk's ambitions for Neuralink, however, go beyond the medical. Musk, who has been vocal about his concerns about AI developing beyond human control, wants Neuralink to eventually enable a, quote, symbiosis with artificial intelligence, end quote, through, quote, a whole brain interface capable of more closely connecting biological and artificial intelligence, end quote. Neuralink's recent funding serves as an exclamation point on the recent uptick in investor interest in BCI. According to Synchron, the treatment of paralysis alone represents a $20 billion market opportunity and could become a $2 billion industry. Pyridromics estimates the market for BCI therapy to be as large as $200 billion. BCI startups have raised over $330 million so far this year, inclusive of Neuralink's funding, more than three times the BCI funding in all of 2020. Other notable BCI players, in addition to Synchron, Neuralink, and Paradromics, include Kernel, led by the founder of Braintree, Cyber, controlled by Peter Thielback's psychedelic biotech firm, Atai Life Sciences, as of April 2021, Peter Thielback's BlackRock Neurotech, whose devices are currently implanted in 28 people, also known as BlackRock Microsystems, Neurable, Emotive, Nextmind, Plexon, and Femtonics. There are a growing number of tie-ups between BCI startups and psychedelics companies. For example, Colonel Sybin and Cyber Atai, in part due to their shared interest in brain science and mental health therapy. Academic researchers are also working on brain-computer interfaces. In a Facebook-backed study unveiled in July 2021, a UCSF research team helped a man who hadn't spoken in a decade after a stroke form sentences at 15 words per minute using a neural interface. Stanford saw comparable results in a similar study in May 2021. May 2021 also saw University of Pittsburgh researchers demonstrating the ability to control a robotic arm with just the brain to grasp, twist, and even feel. The FDA has been supportive of this wave of BCI research, recently releasing in May 2021 a final version of its guidance on how to design clinical trials for brain-computer interfaces. FDA approval of medical devices typically takes three to seven years, shorter than drugs, and the breakthrough device designation should accelerate that process. BlackRock Neurotech's acquired Neuroport device, also known as the Utah Array, an implantable electrode device approved in 2005 to monitor brain activity for up to 30 days or longer with exemption, is still the only FDA-approved implantable BCI device. However, the FDA recently granted marketing authorization to Neurolutions' headpiece-based Ipsy Hand Post-Stroke Rehabilitation System, the first in the non-invasive BCI category. The path to market for BCIs could still be long. Facebook, for instance, recently announced it is backing off its work on consumer quote-unquote brain typing in favor of wrist-based controllers that read muscle electrical signals and have quote, a nearer-term path to market, end quote. The wrist-based technology builds upon work by brain-computer startup Control Labs, which Facebook acquired for a reported $500 million to $1 billion in late 2019. Facebook will open-source its brain-computer interface software and support research by external collaborators. Cybersecurity for devices implanted into human brains are also raising concerns, 
as well as the ethics of performing invasive surgery on healthy people for less critical applications. In these early days, addressing the real needs of people with paralysis, who are highly motivated to engage in lengthy training of the system, will come first. But that market pales in comparison to the much larger opportunity in neuromodulation addressing a broad range of conditions from depression to hypertension. To read more content related to accessibility and mental health treatments, check out our June 8, 2021 brief, Digital Accessibility is the Next Competitive Frontier. In our April 8, 2021 brief, will MDMA-assisted therapy be the vanguard for psychedelic-based treatments? Shift 2. Why are Amazon and Walmart offering their infrastructure to e-commerce rivals? Amazon and Walmart were both recently in the headlines for their somewhat puzzling moves to offer rivals access to fulfillment services and proprietary technologies. These two retail giants are, respectively, the number one and number two U.S. e-commerce players with 40% and 7% of U.S. e-commerce sales. Despite their market leadership, however, both have been alarmed by the explosive growth of SaaS e-commerce platform Shopify during the pandemic-driven e-commerce boom. The difference in fees can be stark. Amazon, for instance, might take a 30% cut, whereas Shopify charges just 2.4 to 2.9% plus 30 cents for payments processing. With the growth of merchant-friendly, low-friction services in the Shopify universe, businesses began recognizing they didn't need to give up so much share of revenue or control of their customer relationships and first-party data. As a result, many global brands and other sellers defected to Shopify amid a broader slowdown expected to impact both Amazon and Walmart's growth in 2021. For both Amazon and Walmart, a thriving third-party seller marketplace is central to expanding their SKU assortments and driving their strategy flywheels. Both have sought to partner with other SaaS e-commerce players, Walmart with Shopify and BigCommerce, Amazon with its acquisition of sales and recent deal with BigCommerce. Now they're seeking to lure third-party sellers into their merchant ecosystems by offering up their world-class fulfillment services and technologies directly, without keeping control of the customer relationships. Amazon is offering its multi-channel fulfillment, MCF program, a subdivision of fulfillment by Amazon, for purchases on non-Amazon channels in 10 countries. This means that, in addition to offering fulfillment services, for example, storage, picking, packing, and shipment of orders, to the sellers on Amazon.com, MCF also extends these services to orders on other e-commerce platforms, such as eBay, Etsy, Shopify, BigCommerce, and even Walmart's marketplace. Walmart tries to prohibit use of Amazon logistics. Sellers can pool their inventory under MCF to fulfill orders for multiple sales channels. Under MCF, Amazon operates more as a pure-play logistics carrier, offering vendors hard-to-beat service levels like one-day and two-day shipping. While MCF orders are currently being shipped in Amazon-branded boxes, Amazon is launching a pilot program that would deliver in unbranded boxes. While it loses some of its grip on end-customer relationships, Amazon can still maintain some visibility and access to data about consumer shopping habits. There's also the silver lining that it can avoid liability for third-party products by clearly positioning itself as a provider of services rather than being the seller of record. With the doubling of the capacity of its delivery network over the past couple years, Amazon has been able to bring down the pricing of MCF, which has been around since 2007, to compete with other logistics providers. The service costs $39.99 per month, plus per-order fulfillment fees as low as $3.99 for an item. One logistics analyst estimates that Amazon could handle as many as 7.5 billion packages in 2021, 
excluding the minority of orders sent through delivery partners like UPS. The main constraint appears to be Amazon's ability to grow its network capacity fast enough. It has had to institute stock-level limits on sellers, dampening the attractiveness of MCF. Meanwhile, Walmart announced last week that for the first time, it would make some of its cloud-based e-commerce technologies, for example, online ordering, in-store fulfillment, and curbside pickup, available to smaller retail businesses on a subscription basis. Walmart will bring these technologies to businesses through the Adobe Commerce platform, formerly Magneto. Like Shopify, Adobe Commerce offers merchants capabilities like site design, order management, and promotions. Starting in early 2022, businesses will be able to use Walmart services to, for instance, show store pickup eligibility and pickup times, offer curbside and in-store pickup options, give employees mobile tools to pick orders, and communicate with customers. Adobe's 200,000 merchants also have the option to sell on Walmart's third-party marketplace and tap its two-day delivery. This is the next evolution in the battle among retail giants to grow their services footprint among third-party sellers. The competition in e-commerce services is still relatively young. A November 2020 McKinsey report found that only 60% of consumer goods companies felt, quote, even moderately prepared, end quote, to capture e-commerce growth opportunities. The moves mentioned don't just capitalize on existing infrastructure and capabilities for new revenue streams. As more brands look for help as they come online, these services help entangle third-party sellers in the respective merchant ecosystems, ideally drawing sellers into their marketplaces. We'll see the retail giants get aggressive and cut into their margins, lowering fees, providing advertising perks, and perhaps negotiating custom deals with the new wave of e-commerce seller roll-ups. To read more about Walmart, Amazon, and e-commerce, check out our July 23rd, 2021 Three Shifts Edition, e-commerce roll-ups aggregating online brands are getting bigger and more global. In our February 26th, 2021 Three Shifts Edition, Walmart and Amazon team up with SaaS e-commerce platforms. Shift 3. Big Tech wants to analyze encrypted data using homomorphic encryption. This week, Facebook confirmed reports that it was building out a team of over 120 AI and encryption researchers, including key staff from Microsoft, dedicated to studying ways to analyze encrypted data without having to decrypt it. Known as homomorphic encryption, HE, this technique could have implications for user privacy, cybersecurity standards, and the business models available to companies, for example, targeted advertising, in an environment of widespread encryption. End-to-end encryption, E2EE, a highly secure form of encryption, has become increasingly popular in messaging apps. End-to-end encryption ensures that messages are only readable to the sender and recipient, and their associated devices. End-to-end encrypted data is not readable, even by the app developer, even if faced with a subpoena, even if its servers are hacked. End-to-end encryption, however, limits developers' ability to track users, do targeted advertising, enable social commerce, or even just offer premium features. In short, there are a very narrow set of B2C business models available to developers under end-to-end encryption. With traditional encryption, Any data decrypted for use or analysis creates an opportunity for bad actors to access it. Homomorphic encryption, however, looks to break the trade-off between privacy and business model. HE is not a new concept, though it's only in the past few years that it has become practical. Compute costs have come down, and algorithms have become more efficient, addressing the computational overhead and latency associated with encrypted processing of very large datasets. This is how homomorphic encryption works. In a process heavily reliant on mathematics, 
a data owner would send encrypted data to the cloud, the server would run certain mathematical operations that would allow for indexing, analytics, searches, and other queries, and only the encrypted results would be returned to the owner for decryption with the matching private key. The privacy of the original data is maintained throughout the entire process. Computer scientist Craig Gentry has described it as a glove box where people can reach in to manipulate what's inside, but they can't see or remove anything, and only the person with the key can access the final product. In an election, for instance, votes could be added up and verified by independent observers while keeping voter identities private and the data protected from manipulation. IBM used HE techniques during the pandemic to analyze patient x-rays and identify potential COVID-19 cases. There are a broad range of potential use cases, from document spell checks to credit approvals. HE also has implications for how organizations can pool their data to collaborate on shared datasets, while protecting user privacy and proprietary data. Machine learning, for instance, can be applied to pools of sensitive banking and financial data to detect fraud and make predictions. It can also be applied to health records to uncover rare diseases, or to genomics data to connect genes to traits, or to wearables data to spot trends. Publishers and other B2C companies can pool their first-party data into data-clean rooms to train quote-unquote propensity models that can predict audience behaviors. Industry data such as pricing benchmarks could be shared without revealing the specifics in the original data. Fully homomorphic encryption has been called the quote-unquote holy grail of encryption since it allows for encryption even during data processing. Partially homomorphic encryption, in contrast, only supports a few mathematical functions and somewhat homomorphic encryption only allows a limited number of operations. It is also expected to be quantum-safe, future-proof and unbreakable even by quantum computing. Facebook is just the latest big tech firm working on HE. Many of the others have been involved for years. Microsoft developed the open-source Simple Encrypted Arithmetic Library, SEAL, in 2015 to make it easier for developers to implement HE applications in cloud environments. SEAL was used by Intel in its open-source HE Transformer tool, enabling neural networks that can be deployed on encrypted data. IBM launched homomorphic encryption services in December 2020, providing an environment for enterprises to experiment with HE and has been working on field trials and client pilots. It believes HE can facilitate data movement between clouds and hybrid cloud environments. More recently, in June 2021, Google released a quote-unquote general-purpose transpiler, source code to source code translator, that allows developers to run computations on encrypted data. There are also startups like Enveal, which has partnerships with both Microsoft Azure and Amazon AWS, Zama, Duality, Infer, and Shield.io working on homomorphic encryption solutions. The big tech firms have different motivations around HE. For the cloud players, supporting the development of HE applications could help differentiate their cloud services in the near term and position them for the future if HE becomes an industry standard. For Facebook, HE represents a defensive maneuver against widespread end-to-end encryption that could help protect its lucrative advertising business. It also could be a way to capitalize on WhatsApp, the leading, quote, end-to-end encryption by default, end quote, messaging app, with 2.5 billion users as of May 2021, though Facebook has said it's, quote, too early for us to consider homomorphic encryption for WhatsApp at this time, end quote. HE could also help Facebook assuage the data privacy concerns of regulators and consumers while continuing ad targeting across its products. The question still remains, however, as to whether users will be open to having their information analyzed, even if it remains encrypted.
Homomorphic encryption does have its limitations. Its computational intensity means it performs poorly on regular PCs and struggles with encrypted processing of quote-unquote gigabytes and terabytes. It handles numerical data well, but can struggle with unstructured and text-based data. It also currently has limited support for multi-user and multi-key use cases. Nonetheless, it represents a major step forward in breaking the trade-offs between privacy and monetization. Given that it can take 10 years for encryption standards to be adopted by the community, it may still be a few years before it enters the true mainstream. To read more content related to encrypted messaging and privacy-first advertising, check out our February 9th, 2021 brief, Encrypted Messaging Apps Everywhere, Privacy vs. Monetization, and our June 24th, 2020 brief, Publishers and Retail Brands Adapt to the Coming Death of Third-Party Cookies. That's it for this week's Three Shifts Edition. A reminder that if you'd like to read more content and you're not already subscribed, head to sixpages.com to sign up for free summaries of our deeply researched briefs and the Three Shifts Edition straight to your inbox. Keep an eye out for our upcoming brief on what's next for quantum computing. And talk to you again on next week's Three Shifts Edition.